Hello? 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 Yes, this is MCO. Hello? This is MCO. Hello? Hello? This is another MCO and transmission. And welcome back to the Lotus Underground. This is MC Owens, and this is going to be part four of my eight-part series on the Noble Eightfold Path. Um, and so I've been doing this series, um, dedicating um, an episode to each of the steps on the Noble Eightfold Path and choosing a particular sutta, particular Pali sutta from the Nikayas, to illustrate that particular step on the Noble Eightfold Path. And so, so far we've done right view, right intention, and right speech. And today we're gonna to be looking at um, right action. This is a tricky one because the word that is for action here is our karma. One of the, you know, the trickiest words or trickiest terms in Indian philosophy, Indian religion. It's one of the trickiest terms to kind of uh, nail down. And it has a lot to do with the way different traditions use that term karma. In general, we're talking about action of the body. But what's tricky about this word karma is that it's not just about the performance of an act, but it's about also the result of that act. And so when it comes to performing or acting correctly, rightly, um, with the body, if I were to refer to the sutra that I've been using as my general reference, so this is um, one of the small suttas from the Samyutta Nikaya, the Connected Discourses, sutta number 45, part 8, which is an analysis of the Eightfold Path, the, the Buddha simply says, and what bhikkhus is right action, right karma? Abstaining from the destruction of life, abstaining from taking what is not given, and abstaining from sexual misconduct. That is called right action or right karma. Um, and so those are going to be the three primary um, kind of defining characteristics of right action within the world of Buddhism. Again, abstaining from killing or taking life or destroying life, abstaining from taking what's not given, otherwise known as stealing, and then abstaining from sexual misconduct, which is also kind of very open to interpretation depending on whether we're dealing, we're dealing with a monastic community or a lay Buddhist community. Um, but for today, to illustrate right action according to Buddhism, I've chosen a, a very interesting sutta. So this is a Pali sutta. It's from the um, Majjhima Nikaya, the middle length discourses of the Buddha. And this is sutta number 101, and it's a sutta named the Devadaha Sutta. Devadaha is a place, and this is the the teaching that the Buddha gave at Devadaha. What this sutra, there's only a few things you need to know uh, before I do a recitation of this sutra. Um, the primary thing that I think you need to know going into this is that the Buddha is discussing a conversation he had with 
the Niganthas. And in particular, he is discussing the doctrine or the view, the drishti. So that kind of refers back to the first step on the Noble Eightfold Path, the view. But he's referring particularly to the doctrine or the view of the Nigantha Nataputta. And I've talked about the Niganthas before, but for, for the most part, this is a little tricky historically, but for the most part, we understand that the Niganthas are the Jains, what is now called the Jain tradition. 2,500 years ago, within the world of Buddhism, the Jains were known as Niganthas, and the founder of the Jain tradition, or one of the founders, a person that is now known as Mahavira, is known as the Nigantha Nataputta in the suttas. And so what this sutta is, is it's kind of a debate. It's, it's, it's actually not a debate. It's the recollection of a debate that the Buddha had with the Niganthas about karma. It, so this sutra is entirely about action. And in particular, that subtle aspect of karma, which is about the results of actions. So it's kind of, you know, this, this gets quickly philosophical because we're talking about actions and the results of actions. And how do you separate those? Do you separate those? And for the most part in Indian philosophy, action and the result of action are sort of uh, inalienable or inseparable in that, in that sense. The reason why I've been wanting to do this particular sutta, though, is that even though this is a little complex, you kind of have to really follow along with it. What's being laid out is the standard Jain understanding of karma. In particular, the standard Jain understanding of actually suffering, of dukkha. Why do we suffer? Why dukkha? And according to the Jains, or at least according to the Buddhist presentation of the Jain idea in this sutta, according to this sutra, the Jains hold that dukkha or suffering is the result of past actions. That we are suffering now, we are born into the world that we're born into, and go through the life that we lead all as a consequence of our past actions. And that idea, actually, that we are currently, presently suffering the consequences of all of our past action, that's an idea that actually Buddhism does not hold. It is not the drishti, it is not the view of Buddhism that we are suffering from our past actions. In other words, the Buddha and Buddhism has a different understanding of karma. And this sutta presents the Buddhist understanding of action, of right action. Um, that's pretty much all you need to know. It's a pretty long sutta. Um, and, you know, it has a lot of intricacies to it that I could get into, but I don't think are really necessary to appreciate the message of the sutta. Um, yeah, and so I think I'm just going to go ahead and do a recitation of it, um, and hopefully the sutta and my recitation 
speak for itself. So on that note, uh, kick back and enjoy the Sutta at Devadaha. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Sakyan country where there was a town of the Sakyans named Devadaha. There the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this, Bhikkhus, there are some recluses and brahmins who hold such a doctrine and such a view as this. Whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain, or neither pain nor pleasure, all that is caused by what was done in the past. So, by annihilating, through asceticism, past actions, and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future. With no consequence in the future, there is the destruction of action. With the destruction of action, there is the destruction of suffering. With the destruction of suffering, there is the destruction of feeling. And with the destruction of feeling, all suffering will be exhausted. So speak the Nigantas, Bhikkhus. I go to the Nigantas, who speak thus, and I say, Friend Nigantas, is it true that you hold such a doctrine and such a view as this? That whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain or neither pain nor pleasure, that all that is caused by what was done in the past, and so by annihilating through asceticism past actions, and by doing no fresh actions there will be no consequence in the future, and with no consequence in the future there is the destruction of action, and with the destruction of action there is the destruction of suffering, and with the destruction of suffering there is the destruction of feeling, and with the destruction of feeling all suffering will be exhausted, if, when they are asked thus, the Nigantas admit this and say, Yes, I say to them, But friends, do you know that you existed in the past and that it is not the case that you did not exist? And they reply, No, friend. But friends, do you know that you did evil actions in the past and did not abstain from them? No, friend. But friends, do you know that you did such and such evil actions? No, friend. But friends, do you know that so much suffering has already been exhausted, or that so much suffering has still yet to be exhausted, or that when so much suffering has been exhausted, all suffering will have been exhausted? No, friend. But friends, do you know what the abandoning of unwholesome states is and what the cultivation of wholesome states is here and now? No, friend. So, friends, it seems that you do not know that you existed in the past and that it is not the case that you did not exist, or that you did evil actions in the past and did not abstain from them, or that you did such and such evil actions, or that so much suffering has already been exhausted, or that so much suffering still has yet to be exhausted, or that when so much suffering has been exhausted, all suffering will have been exhausted.
or what the abandoning of unwholesome states is and what the cultivation of wholesome states is here and now. That being so, it is not fitting for the Venerable Niganthas to declare that whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain, or neither pain nor pleasure, that all that is caused by what is done in the past. And so by annihilating through asceticism past actions and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future. With no consequence in the future, there is the destruction of action. With the destruction of action, there is the destruction of suffering. And with the destruction of suffering, there is the destruction of feeling. And with the destruction of feeling, all suffering will be exhausted. If, friend Nigantas, you knew that you existed in the past, and that it is not the case that you did not exist, or you knew that you did evil actions in the past and did not abstain from them, or you knew that you did such and such evil actions, or you knew that so much suffering has already been exhausted, or you knew that so much suffering has still yet to be exhausted, or you knew that when so much suffering has been exhausted, all suffering will have been exhausted. Or if you knew what the abandoning of unwholesome states is and what the cultivation of wholesome states is here and now, that being so, it would be fitting for the Venerable Niganthas to declare that whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain or neither pain nor pleasure, that all that is caused by what was done in the past. And so by annihilating through asceticism past actions and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future. And with no consequence in the future, there would be the destruction of action. And with the destruction of action, there would be the destruction of suffering. And with the destruction of suffering, the destruction of feeling. And with the destruction of feeling, all suffering would be exhausted. Friend Niganthas, suppose a man were wounded by an arrow, thickly smeared with poison, and because of this he felt painful, racking, piercing feelings. Then his friends and companions, kinsmen and relatives, would bring a surgeon, and the surgeon would cut around the opening of the wound with a knife, probe for the arrow with a probe, pull out the arrow, and apply a medicinal powder to the opening of the wound, and at each step the man would feel painful, racking, piercing feelings. Then, on a later occasion, when the wound was healed and covered with skin, the man would be well and happy, independent, master of himself, able to go wherever he likes. And he might think, formerly, I was pierced by an arrow thickly smeared with poison, and because of this I felt painful, racking, piercing feelings. Then my friends and companions, kinsmen and relatives, brought a surgeon. The surgeon cut around the opening of the wound with a knife, probed for the arrow with a probe, pulled the arrow out, and applied a medicinal powder to the opening of the wound. And at each step I felt painful, racking, piercing feelings. But now that the wound is healed and covered with skin, I am well and happy, independent, my own master, able to go wherever I like. So too, friend Niganthas, if you knew that you existed in the past 
and that it is not the case that you did not exist, or that you did evil actions in the past and did not abstain from them, or that you did such and such evil actions, or that so much suffering has already been exhausted, or that so much suffering has still yet to be exhausted, or that when so much suffering has been exhausted, all suffering will be exhausted, or what the abandoning of unwholesome states is, and what the cultivation of wholesome states is here and now. That being so, it would be fitting for the Venerable Niganthas to declare that whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain, or neither pain nor pleasure, all that is caused by what is done in the past, and so by annihilating through asceticism past actions, and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future, and with no consequence in the future, there would be the destruction of action, and with the destruction of action, the destruction of suffering, and with the destruction of suffering, there would be the destruction of feeling, and with the destruction of feeling, all suffering would be exhausted. But since, friend Niganthas, you do not know that you existed in the past, and that it is not the case that you did not exist, or that you did evil actions in the past and did not abstain from them, or that you did such and such evil actions, or that so much suffering has already been exhausted, or that so much suffering has still yet to be exhausted, or that when so much suffering has been exhausted, all suffering will be exhausted or what the abandoning of unwholesome states is, and what the cultivation of wholesome states is, here and now. It is not fitting for the Venerable Niganthas to declare that whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain, or neither pain nor pleasure, that all that is caused by what was done in the past. And so by annihilating through asceticism past actions, and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future. With no consequence in the future, be, there is the destruction of action. And with the destruction of action, there is the destruction of suffering. And with the destruction of suffering, there is the destruction of feeling. And with the destruction of feeling, all suffering will be exhausted. When this was said, the Niganthas told me, Friend, the Nigantha Nataputta is omniscient and all-seeing, and claims to have complete knowledge and vision thus. Wherever I am, walking or standing or asleep or awake, knowledge and vision are continuously and uninterruptedly present in me. He says thus, Niganthas, you have done evil actions in the past. Exhaust them with the performance of piercing austerities. And when you are here and now restrained in body, speech, and mind, that is, doing no evil actions for the future, and so by annihilating with asceticism past actions, and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future. With no consequence in the future, there is the destruction of action, and with the destruction of action, there is the destruction of suffering. With the destruction of suffering, there is the destruction of feeling, and with the destruction of feeling, all suffering is exhausted. We approve of and accept this, and so we are satisfied. When this was said, I told the Niganthas, 
There are five things, friend Niganthas, that may turn out in two different ways here and now. What are the five? They are faith, approval, oral traditions, reasoned cogitation, and reflective acceptance of a view. These five things may turn out in two different ways here and now. Herein, what kind of faith do the venerable Niganthas have in a teacher who speaks about the past? What kind of approval? What kind of oral tradition? What kind of reasoned cogitation? And what kind of reflective acceptance of a view? Speaking thus, bhikkhus, I did not see any legitimate defense of their position by the Niganthas. Again, bhikkhus, I said to the Niganthas, What do you think, friend Niganthas? When there is intense exertion, intense striving, do you then feel painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion? But when there is no intense exertion, no intense striving, do you then not feel any painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion? When there is intense exertion, friend Gotama, intense striving, then we feel painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion. But when there is no intense exertion, no intense striving, then we do not feel any painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion. So it seems, friend Niganthas, that when there is intense exertion, intense striving, you feel painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion. But when there is no intense exertion, intense striving, you do not feel any painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion. That being so, it is not fitting for the Venerable Niganthas to declare that whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain, or neither pain nor pleasure, that all that is caused by what was done in the past, and so that by annihilating through asceticism past actions, and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future. With no consequence in the future, there is the destruction of action, and with the destruction of action, there is the destruction of suffering, with the destruction of suffering, there is the destruction of feeling, and with the destruction of feeling, all suffering will be exhausted. If, friend Niganthas, when there was intense exertion, intense striving, then painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion were present, and when there was no intense exertion, no intense striving, then painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion were still present. That being so, it would be fitting for the Venerable Niganthas to declare that whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain, or neither pain nor pleasure, that all that is caused by what is done in the past. And so by annihilating through asceticism past actions, and by doing no fresh actions, there will be no consequence in the future. And with no consequence in the future, there would, there would be the destruction of action, and with the destruction of action, there would be the destruction of suffering, and with the destruction of suffering, the destruction of feeling, and with the destruction of feeling, all suffering would be exhausted. 
But since friend nigantas, when there is intense exertion, intense striving, then you feel painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion. But when there is no intense exertion, no intense striving, then you do not feel painful, racking, piercing feelings due to intense exertion. You are therefore feeling only the painful, racking, piercing feelings of your self-imposed exertion. And it is through ignorance, unknowing, and delusion that you mistakenly hold that whatever a person feels, whether pleasure or pain, or neither pain nor pleasure, that all that is caused by what was done in the past. And so by annihilating through asceticism past actions and by doing no fresh actions, there would be no consequence in the future. With no consequence in the future, there would be the destruction of action, and with the destruction of action, the destruction of suffering, and with the destruction of suffering, the destruction of feeling, and with the destruction of feeling, all suffering would be exhausted. Speaking thus, bhikkhus, I did not see any legitimate defense of their position by the Niganthas. Again, bhikkhus, I said to the Niganthas, What do you think, friend Niganthas? Is it possible that an action whose result is to be experienced here and now can, through exertion and striving, become one whose result is to be experienced in their next life? The Niganthas replied, No, friend. But is it possible that an action whose result is to be experienced in the next life can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be experienced here and now? No, friend. What do you think, friend Niganthas? Is it possible that an action whose result is to be experienced as pleasant can, through exertion and striving, become one whose result is, be, is to be experienced as painful? No, friend. But is it possible that an action whose result is to be experienced as painful can, through exertion and striving, become one whose result is to be experienced as pleasant? No, friend. What do you think, friend Niganthas? Is it possible that an action whose result is to be experienced in a matured personality can, by exertion and striving, become one whose result is to be experienced in an unmatured personality? No, friend. But is it possible that an action whose result is to be experienced in an unmatured personality can, by exertion and striving, become one whose result is to be experienced in a matured personality? No, friend. What do you think, friend Niganthas? Is it possible that an action whose result is to be much experienced can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be little experienced? No, friend. But is it possible that an action whose result is to be little experienced can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be much experienced? No, friend. What do you think, friend Niganthas? Is it possible that an action whose result is to be experienced can, through exertion and striving, become one whose result is not to be experienced? No, friend. But is it possible that an action whose result is not to be experienced can, through exertion and striving, become one whose result is to be experienced? No, friend. So it seems, friend Niganthas, 
that it is impossible that an action whose result is to be experienced here and now can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be experienced in the next life and impossible that an action whose result is to be experienced in the next life can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be experienced here and now impossible that an action whose result is to be experienced as pleasant can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be experienced as painful and impossible that an action whose result is to be experienced as painful can through exertion and striving be become one whose result is to be experienced as pleasant impossible that an action whose result is to be experienced in a matured personality can by exertion and striving become one whose result is to be experienced in an unmatured personality and impossible that an action whose result is to be experienced in an unmatured personality can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be experienced in a matured personality impossible that an action whose result is to be much experienced can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be little experienced and impossible that an action whose result is to be little experienced can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be much experienced impossible that an action whose result is to be experienced can through exertion and striving become one whose result is not to be experienced and impossible that an action whose result is not to be experienced can through exertion and striving become one whose result is to be experienced that being so venerable nigantas exertion is fruitless their striving is fruitless so speak the nigantas bikus and because the nigantas speak thus there are 10 legitimate deductions from their assertions that provide ground for censuring them if the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by what was done in the past then the nigantas surely must have done bad deeds in the past since now they feel such painful racking piercing feelings if the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by the creative act of a supreme god <laughs> then the nigantas surely must have been created by an evil supreme god since now they feel such painful racking piercing feelings if the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by chance circumstances and nature then the nigantas surely must have bad luck since they now feel such painful racking piercing feelings if the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by them being among the six classes of rebirth then the nigantas surely must belong to the lower class of rebirth since they now feel such painful racking piercing feelings if the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by exertion here and now then the nigantas surely must strive badly here and now since now they feel such painful racking piercing feelings if the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by what was done in the past then the nigantas are to be censured if not then the nigantas are still to be censured if the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by the creative act of a supreme god then the nigantas are to be censured and if not they are still to be censured 
If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by chance, then the Niganthas are to be censured. If not, they are still to be censured. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by their class of rebirth, then the Niganthas are to be censured. And if not, they are still to be censured. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by exertion here and now, then the Niganthas are to be censured. If not, they are still to be censured. So speak the Niganthas, bhikkhus. And because the Niganthas speak thus, these ten legitimate deductions from their assertions provide grounds for censuring them. Thus their exertion is fruitless. Their striving is fruitless. And how is exertion fruitful, bhikkhus? How is striving fruitful? Here, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu who is not overwhelmed with suffering does not overwhelm themselves with suffering and does not give up the pleasure that accords with the Dharma, yet is not infatuated with that pleasure. One knows thus, when I strive with determination, this particular source of suffering fades away in me because of that determined striving. And when I look on with equanimity, this particular source of suffering fades away in me while I develop equanimity. One strives with determination in regard to that particular source of suffering which fades away because of that determined striving. And one develops equanimity in regard to that particular source of suffering which fades away while one is developing equanimity. When one strives with determination, such and such a source of suffering fades away because of that determined striving. Thus that suffering is exhausted. When one looks on with equanimity, such and such a source of suffering fades away while one develops equanimity. Thus that suffering is exhausted. Suppose, bhikkhus, a man loved a woman with his mind bound to her by intense desire and passion. He might see that woman standing with another man, chatting, joking, and laughing. What do you think, bhikkhus? Would not sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair arise in that man when he sees that woman standing with another man, chatting, joking, and laughing? Yes, venerable sir. Why is that? Because that man loves that woman with his mind bound to her by intense desire and passion. That is why sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair would arise in him when he sees her standing with another man, chatting, joking, and laughing. Then, bhikkhus, the man might think, I love this woman with my mind bound to her by intense desire and passion. Thus, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair arise in me when I see her standing with another man, chatting, joking, and laughing. What if I were to abandon my intense desire and lust for that woman? He would abandon his desire and lust for that woman. On a later occasion, he might see that woman standing with another man, chatting, 
joking and laughing. What do you think, bhikkhus? Would sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair arise in that man when he sees that woman standing with another man, chatting, joking, and laughing? No, venerable sir. And why is that? Because that man no longer lusts for that woman. That is why sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair do not arise in him when he sees that woman standing with another man, chatting, joking, and laughing. So too, bhikkhus, when a bhikkhu who is not overwhelmed with suffering does not overwhelm themselves with suffering and does not give up the pleasure that accords with dharma, yet is not infatuated with that pleasure, one knows thus, when I strive with determination, this particular source of suffering fades away in me because of that determined striving. And when I look on with equanimity, this particular source of suffering fades away in me while I develop equanimity. And one strives with determination in regard to that particular source of suffering which fades away because of that determined striving. And one develops equanimity in regard to that particular source of suffering which fades away while one is developing equanimity. When one strives with determination, such and such a source of suffering fades away because of that determined striving. Thus that suffering is exhausted. When one looks on with equanimity, such and such a source of suffering fades away while one develops equanimity. Thus that suffering is exhausted. Thus bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving is fruitful. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu considers thus. While I live according to my pleasure, unwholesome states increase in me and wholesome states diminish. But when I exert myself in what is painful, unwholesome states diminish in me and wholesome states increase. What if I exert myself in what is painful? One exerts oneself in what is painful. When one does so, unwholesome states diminish and wholesome states increase. At a later time, one does not exert oneself in what is painful. And why is that? The purpose for which that bhikkhu exerted themselves in what is painful has been achieved. That is why, at a later time, they do not exert themselves in what is painful. Suppose bhikkhus an aerosmith were warming and heating an arrow shaft between two flames, making it straight and workable. When the arrow shaft had been warmed and heated between the two flames and had been made straight and workable, then, at a later time, he would not again warm and heat the arrow shaft and make it straight and workable. And why is that? The purpose for which that aerosmith had warmed and heated the arrow and made it straight and workable has been achieved. That is why, at a later time, he would not again warm and heat the arrow shaft and make it straight and workable. So too, a bhikkhu considers thus. While I live according to my pleasure, unwholesome states increase in me and wholesome states diminish. But when I exert myself in what is painful, unwholesome states diminish in me and wholesome states increase. 
What if I exert myself in what is painful? One exerts oneself in what is painful. When one does so, unwholesome states diminish and wholesome states increase. At a later time, one does not exert oneself in what is painful. And why is that? The purpose for which that bhikkhu exerted themselves in what is painful has been achieved. That is why, at a later time, they do not exert themselves in what is painful. Thus, to bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving fruitful. Again, bhikkhus, here a tathagata appears in the world, accomplished, fully enlightened, perfect in true knowledge and conduct, sublime, knower of worlds, incomparable leader of persons to be tamed, teacher of gods and humans, enlightened, blessed one, proclaimer of this world with its gods, its maras, and its brahmas, this generation with its recluses and brahmins, its princes and its people, being self-realized by direct knowledge, teacher of the dharma, good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing, and he reveals a holy life, that is utterly perfect and pure. A householder, or householder's son, or one born in some other clan, hears that dharma. On hearing the dharma, he acquires faith in the Tathagata. Possessing that faith, he considers thus. Household life is crowded and dusty. Life gone forth is wide open. It is not easy while living in a home, to lead the holy life, utterly perfect and pure as a polished shell. Suppose I shave off my hair and beard, put on the yellow robe, and go forth from the home life into homelessness. On a later occasion, abandoning a small or a large fortune, abandoning a small or a large circle of relatives, he shaves off his hair and beard, puts on the yellow robe, and goes forth from the home into homelessness. Having thus gone forth and possessing the bhikkhu's training and way of life, abandoning the killing of living beings, he abstains from killing living beings. With rod and weapon laid aside, conscientious, merciful, he abides compassionate to all living beings. Abandoning the taking of what is not given, he abstains from taking what is not given, taking only what is given, expecting only what is given. By not stealing, he abides in purity. Abandoning in celibacy, he observes celibacy, living apart, abstaining from sexual intercourse. Abandoning false speech, he abstains from false speech. He speaks truth, adheres to truth, is trustworthy and reliable one who is no deceiver of the world. Abandoning malicious speech, he abstains from malicious speech. He does not repeat elsewhere what he has heard here in order to divide these people from these people, nor does he repeat to these people what he has heard elsewhere in order to divide these people from those people. Thus, he is one who reunites those who are divided, a promoter of friendship who enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, 
and is a speaker of words that promote concord. Abandoning harsh speech, he abstains from harsh speech, speaking such words as are gentle, pleasing to the ear and lovable, as go to the heart, are courteous, desired by many and agreeable to many. Abandoning gossip, he abstains from gossip. He speaks at the right time, speaks what is fact, speaks on what is good, speaks on the dharma and the discipline. At the right time, he speaks such words as are worth recording, reasonable, moderate, and beneficial. He abstains from injuring seeds and plants. He practices eating one meal a day, abstaining from eating at night and outside the proper times. He abstains from dancing, singing, music, and theatrical shows. He abstains from wearing garlands, smartening himself with scents, and embellishing himself with unguents. He abstains from high and large couches. He abstains from accepting gold and silver. He abstains from accepting raw grain. He abstains from accepting raw meat. He abstains from accepting women and girls. He abstains from accepting men and women slaves. He abstains from accepting goats and sheep. He abstains from accepting fowl and pig. He abstains from accepting elephants, cattle, horses, and mares. He abstains from accepting fields and land. He abstains from going on errands and running messages. He abstains from buying and selling. He abstains from false weights, false metals, and false measures. He abstains from accepting bribes, deceiving, defrauding, and trickery. He abstains from wounding, murdering, binding, looting, plundering, and violence. He becomes content with robes to protect his body and with alms food to maintain his stomach. And wherever he goes, he sets out taking only these things with him. Just as a bird, wherever it goes, flies with its wings as its only burden, so too the bhikkhu becomes content with robes to protect his body and with alms food to maintain his stomach. And wherever he goes, he sets out, taking only these things with him. Possessing this aggregate of noble virtue, he experiences within himself a bliss that is blameless. On seeing a form with the eye, he does not grasp at its signs and features, since if he left the eye faculty unguarded, evil, unwholesome states of covetedness and grief might invade him. He practices the way of its restraint. He guards the eye faculty. He understands the restraint of the eye faculty. On hearing a sound with the ear, he does not grasp at its signs and features. Since if he left the ear faculty unguarded, evil, unwholesome states of covetedness and grief might invade him, he practices the way of its restraint. He guards the ear faculty. He undertakes the restraint of the ear faculty. On smelling an odor with the nose, he does not grasp at its signs and features. Since if he left the nose faculty unguarded, evil unwholesome states of covetousness and grief might invade him. He practices the way of its restraint. He guards the nose faculty. He undertakes the restraint of the nose faculty. On tasting a flavor with the tongue, he does not grasp at its signs and features, since if he left the tongue faculty unguarded, 
evil, unwholesome states of covetedness and grief might invade him. He practices the way of its restraint. He guards the tongue faculty. He undertakes the restraint of the tongue faculty. On touching a tangible with the body, he does not grasp at its signs and features. Since if he left the body faculty unguarded, evil, unwholesome states of covetousness and grief might invade him. He practices the way of its restraint. He guards the body faculty. He undertakes the restraint of the body faculty. On cognizing a dharma, a mind object, with the mind, he does not grasp at its signs and features. Since if he left the mind faculty unguarded, evil unwholesome states of covetedness and grief might invade him. He practices the way of its restraint. He guards the mind faculty. He undertakes the restraint of the mind faculty. Possessing this noble restraint of the faculties, he experiences within himself a bliss that is unsullied and blameless. He becomes one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning, who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending their limbs, who acts in full awareness when wearing robes and carrying an outer robe and bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. Possessing this aggregate of noble virtue and this noble restraint of the faculties and possessing this noble mindfulness and full awareness, one resorts to a secluded resting place, the forest, the root of a tree, a mountain, a ravine, a hillside cave, a charnel ground, a jungle thicket, an open space, or a heap of straw. On returning from an alms round, after the meal, one sits down, folding their legs crosswise, setting the body erect, and establishing mindfulness before them. Abandoning covetedness for the world. One abides with a mind free of covetedness. One purifies the mind from covetousness. Abandoning ill will and hatred, one abides with a mind free from ill will and hatred, compassionate for the welfare of all living beings. One purifies the mind from ill will and hatred. Abandoning sloth and torpor, one abides free from sloth and torpor, perceiving of light, mindful and fully aware. One purifies the mind from sloth and torpor. Abandoning restlessness and remorse, one abides unagitated with a mind inwardly peaceful. One purifies the mind from restlessness and, re and remorse. Abandoning doubt, one abides having gone beyond doubt. Unperplexed about wholesome states, one purifies the mind from doubt. Having thus abandoned these five hindrances, imperfections of the mind that weaken wisdom, quiet, secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, one enters upon and abides in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought, 
with rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Thus too, bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving is fruitful. Again, bhikkhus, with the stilling of applied and sustained thought, a bhikkhu enters upon and abides in the second jhana, which has self-confidence and singleness of mind without applied and sustained thought, with rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Thus too, bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving is fruitful. Again, bhikkhus, with the fading away as well of rapture, a bhikkhu abides in equanimity and mindful and fully aware, still feeling pleasure with the body one enters upon and abides in the third jhana, on account of which noble ones announce, one has a pleasant abiding, the one who has equanimity and is mindful. Thus too, bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving is fruitful. Again, bhikkhus, with the abandoning of pleasure and pain, and with the previous disappearance of joy and grief, a bhikkhu enters upon and abides in the fourth jhana, which has neither pain nor pleasure and purity of mindfulness due to equanimity. Thus too, bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving is fruitful. When the mind is concentrated thus, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability, one directs it to knowledge of the recollection of past lives. One recollects manifold past lives, that is, one birth, two births, three births, four births, five births, ten births, twenty births, thirty births, forty births, fifty births, a hundred births, a thousand births, a hundred thousand births, many culpas of world contraction, many culpas of world expansion, many culpas of world contraction and expansion. There I was named so-and-so of such-and-such such a clan with such an appearance. Such was my nutriment, such my experience of pleasure and pain, such my life term. And passing away from there, I reappeared elsewhere. And there, too, I was named such-and-such such of such-and-such such a clan, with such an appearance. Such was my nutriment, such my experience of pleasure and pain, such my life term. And passing away from there, I reappeared here. Thus, with their aspects and particulars, one recollects manifold past lives. Thus, too, bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving is fruitful. When this mind is concentrated thus, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability, one directs it to knowledge of the passing away and reappearance of beings. With the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, one sees beings passing away and reappearing, inferior and superior, fair and ugly, fortunate and unfortunate. One understands how beings pass on according to their actions thus. These worthy beings who were ill-conducted in body, speech, and mind, 
revilers of the noble ones, wrong in their views, giving effect to wrong view in their actions, on the dissolution of the body after death, have reappeared in a state of deprivation, in a bad destination, in perdition, even in hell. But these worthy beings, who were well conducted in body, speech, and mind, not revilers of noble ones, right in their views, giving effect to right view in their actions, on the dissolution of the body after death, have appeared in a good destination, even in a heavenly world. Thus with the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, one sees beings passing away and reappearing, inferior and superior, fair and ugly, fortunate and unfortunate, and one understands how beings pass on according to their actions. Thus too, bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful, the striving is fruitful. When the mind is concentrated thus, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability, one directs it to knowledge of the destruction of the taints. One understands as it actually is, this is suffering. One understands as it actually is, this is the origin of suffering. One understands as it actually is, this is the cessation of suffering. One understands as it actually is, this is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. One understands as it actually is, these are the taints. One understands as it actually is, this is the origin of the taints. One understands as it actually is, this is the cessation of the taints. One understands as it actually is, this is the way leading to the cessation of the taints. Knowing and seeing thus, the mind is liberated from the taint of sensual desire, from the taint of being, and from the taint of ignorance. When it is liberated, there comes the knowledge. It is liberated. One understands. Birth is destroyed. The holy life has been lived. What had to be done has been done. There is no more coming to any state of being. Thus too, bhikkhus, the exertion is fruitful. The striving is fruitful. So the Tathagata speaks, bhikkhus. And because the Tathagata speaks thus, there are ten legitimate grounds for praising him. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by what was done in the past, then the Tathagata surely must have done good deeds in the past, since he now feels such taintless, pleasant feelings. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by the creative act of a supreme god, then the Tathagata surely must have been created by a good supreme god, since he now feels such taintless, pleasant feelings. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by chance, circumstance, and nature, then the Tathagata surely must have good luck, since he now feels such taintless, pleasant feelings. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by class among the six kinds of rebirth, 
then the Tathagata surely must belong to a good class of rebirth, since he now feels such taintless, pleasant feelings. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by exertion here and now, then the Tathagata surely must strive well here and now, since he now feels such taintless, pleasant feelings. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by what was done in the past, then the Tathagata is to be praised. If not, then the Tathagata is still to be praised. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by the creative act of a supreme god, then the Tathagata is to be praised. If not, then the Tathagata is still to be praised. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by chance circumstance, then the Tathagata is to be praised. And if not, then the Tathagata is still to be praised. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by class of rebirth, then the Tathagata is to be praised. If not, then the Tathagata is still to be praised. If the pleasure and pain that beings feel are caused by exertion here and now, then the Tathagata is to be praised. If not, then the Tathagata is still to be praised. So the Tathagata speaks, bhikkhus, and because the Tathagata speaks thus, there are these ten legitimate grounds for praising him. This is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words.